0: This course is the most accessible way you can work with me personally as well. And while you have a lifetime access to the course content and obviously lifetime access to the skills and relationships you build as part of this course, you're also really not thrown in the deep end at all because I keep the cohort small on purpose so that you get that mentorship and support from me throughout the whole thing. So we're gonna get you so excited about the opportunities ahead for your business, super clear on your growth strategy and how you're going to build meaningful and pivotal relationships. It's gonna be so good. And doors open on the 11th of August. They're only open for 10 days though. So make sure you're on the wait list so that you don't miss out. We're actually kicking the cohort off on um, August 22nd. So immediately after the doors open, Hello and welcome to Stop, Collaborate and Listen. We are a podcast about marketing, collaboration and business and we're brought to you by Collabasaurus.com, the matchmaker for brands. Hey, hey! welcome back to another episode of Stop, Collaborate and Listen. I am your host, Jess Rufus, and today is going to be a little bit of a different episode. I really wanted to cover the topic of building a small team and leading a small team, but with Collabasaurus still growing itself, I thought I definitely needed to bring in someone a little older and a lot wiser than myself uh, to help answer all of our burning questions. So I've brought Martin Moore with me today, and he is our guy. He's the co-founder of Your CEO Mentor, and he has years of experience in managing teams, big and small, as well as mentoring young leaders. So... He's an all-round legend of a guy with a wealth of knowledge and I'm so thrilled to have him on this episode. Um, And then for those of you interested in more leadership and management advice, you absolutely need to check out Marty's podcast, No Bullshit Leadership. I absolutely love it and it's such a valuable resource no matter what stage of business that you're you're at. And we actually talk about a couple of those episodes as being super relevant to some of the questions that I'm going to be asking. So definitely can recommend that and I'll pop the link in the show notes. But I'm going to launch straight into into questions here. So let's get straight into it. Hey, Martin, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am so thrilled to have you.
1: Hey, Jess, it's great to be here.
0: Amazing. So my first question for you is to tell us a little bit about your background and maybe the differences between managing a large and small team.
1: Okay, that's a really good question to start with. Just a little bit about me. So um, for your listeners, I'm probably one or two years older than most of you. Um, I'm in my (laughs) mid-50s. I started off uh, actually, funnily enough, in the software industry, but not in a startup sense. I was working for large corporations as a software developer. Uh, My first leadership roles came from leading small projects. And I just grew on that. Uh, I've worked in a number of different industries and and different size companies, including ASX 50 listed companies, uh, to the point where I was chief executive of CS Energy, a major energy firm. Uh, And uh, through the way that I've managed all sorts of teams, different shapes, sizes, geographical dispersions and so forth. So I've sort of been around this space a bit and uh, hopefully have something to offer your listeners.
0: Plenty. And what do you think the key challenges are, do you think, managing a large team versus small team? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, Jess, there's a couple of things that are really important regardless of the context and regardless of the size of team. So -hmm. the first thing is, uh, and you know, if you go and look at the No Bullshit Leadership podcast list, there's a bunch of episodes there that deal with these specific things that I think are good for uh, anyone, whether you're an entrepreneur or managing a large organization. Things like uh, respect before popularity. One of the key things when you become a leader, whether it's a small team or a large team, is that consistent feel of, I'm not here to be liked. I'm here to get results and particularly when it's your capital at risk as an entrepreneur you need to make sure that you're getting value out of all the people that work for you and so learning how to lead those people effectively is a key challenge the big difference in managing large teams is that you have less and less control as you go up the layers of an organization so when you have direct control of resources next to you and you're sitting in the same physical location and you've got a small team it's very easy to work with those people it's very easy to share the workload and to dip in and work across each other's briefs so you can end up duplicating a lot of work that way so one of the key things i'd say is working at level um it's really important that you're actually working at the right level and that you're letting the people that you hire do the job that you've hired them to do and that doesn't change whether it's a big team or a small team it's just that as i said the higher up you go the less control you have because you're getting your results through other leaders
0: Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love this idea of working at level or working at the wrong level <laughs> or right level, for example. And if you haven't heard this phrase before, guys, I actually first heard it um, from Marty himself. And as I understand it, it's all about uh, working and delivering on the value that you're actually there for and that your staff are there for. And what happens a lot in startups in particular is that a new hire is made and because it's a startup and so many things are happening, usually one role will work across multiple skill sets or that new hire is actually a step up in that person's career and it's really common um, for that person to be working at the wrong level or doing the things that they're comfortable with and used to doing rather than stepping up and meeting the requirements of their role. And this can absolutely happen with new managers as well and founders, um, you know, letting go or not really sure exactly how to manage what ends up happening is micromanagement, which is absolutely not what we want to do. So um, my next question is all about maybe founders making their first hires and finding it really hard to let go of their baby because, I mean, I find this super hard myself. Um, This often leads to micromanagement. So how do you let go and empower your employees from the get-go?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. And particularly when you're in a really small team, because as I said, you your work um, uh, tasks can, can blur around each other. Exactly. And, step in and do something for someone else if you see it not being done the way you'd like it to be done. So it's really tempting as a founder, particularly when you've got a very fixed idea of how you want things to be, to actually step across someone else's accountabilities. But I'll give you an expression that I use a lot uh, with people that I'm sort of mentoring. And also, if you can have this running through your head, it'll help you a little bit. And this is a great expression, right? You don't buy a dog and then bark yourself. Right? <laughs> and it's not original. It's Jeffrey J. Fox in a great little book, "How to Become a Great Boss." But really, what it says is, if you're going to actually pay someone to come into your business, let them do what you paid them to do. You don't need to do their job for them. Um, it's tricky because you've got to find a way to set the right targets, make sure that you monitor them effectively, and make sure that you're keeping them, uh, you know, nose to the grindstone, but that you don't get into their knitting for them. Mm-hmm. So you don't a dog and bark yourself. Let them do the job you paid them to do. And if they're not the right person with the right skills that are delivering for you, then you need to go and find someone else. And that's making hard leadership decisions. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. And then speaking of micromanaging and sort of making first hires and things like that, if we flip the conversation, you know, what if you're the staff member? Maybe you're working for a startup. How how do you manage your boss in this situation? Perhaps maybe your boss is having a hard time letting go of their baby.
1: Yeah, and and that is absolutely a problem. It's really hard to manage your boss and manage upwards. You have to be very, very strong and very assertive, and uh, most people aren't. I think, uh, particularly, we find in Australia, of course, being assertive like that isn't part of our culture. A little bit more Mm -hmm. so in the US, I think. But um, but you know, things that you have to say to your boss are things that uh, you know you'll hesitate on. So, for example, um, I had a boss years ago who was a bit of a micromanager, but he was so smart and so capable that I sort of didn't mind that much because he was really useful to have um, tab around, but he okay. used to ask me questions that there's no chance I should know it. Um, it was something that people two, two, two levels or three levels below me were dealing with. And so I developed this question of putting back in his box, and he'd say, um, so how about this? And I'd say to him, Robert, why would I know that? Right? We're, we're, paying, we're paying people like two or three levels down to do that work. Why would I even know that? And so that sort of gave him that sense of, oh, okay, I see that's not your job, so it mustn't be mine either. Um, so that's, you know, in a larger organization, but when you're in a small team, it's hard to push back on the person who's paying your wages. Uh, and so I think one of the techniques is asking the question, do you not trust me? And when you see your boss in your knitting, it's, it's something that really stands the back. If you can say, don't you trust me to do what you're paying me to do and to give them confidence and say, look, I'm going to deliver on these targets. You know, I'm very confident I'm going to, is there anything that's giving you a lack of confidence in my ability to do that? So asking them questions that actually force them to answer. And, of course, most of the time they don't have any issues at all with you. They just want it done a particular way. Mm-hmm,
0: totally. And I think actually asking a question is a really great strategy uh, just because I think when people think about, it, you know, standing up to their boss, for example, it can be sort of associated with confrontation when it really doesn't have to be at all. It can really just be, you know, a question asked to loop it back to the bigger picture or, you know, things that your boss already knows already. I mean, Emma is amazing at doing this with me (laughs) because I know, you know, when I say, oh, I've got an idea for this or let's do this she go, well, how will it affect X, Y, Z? And she already knows the answer, but she's asking me because, you know, I should know the answer and it makes me step back and think about you know, the bigger picture again. So I think asking a question is a really, really good strategy. Um, Yeah. And then in terms of finding the right people for the job, I, you know, it's very tricky, particularly with your first highs because you place such importance on every single member of that team. You know, they every job counts so, so much because you're such a small team. So what are your top tips for finding the right people?
1: And this is this is really tricky because first and foremost, you're looking for the right cultural and values fit with what you're doing. And mm-hmm. a small thing, you can't afford to get that wrong. Um, the difficulty is that can sometimes push you down the path of hiring in your own image, and you don't need more people like yourself. You need to hire what you don't have. Mm-hmm. And so this is this is the trap that most people fall into. Now I was sort of lucky years ago. I realised that I don't have fun working in detail. I can do it. In fact, I'm actually quite good at it, but I much prefer working at high level and working in the contextual space. Mm -hmm. And so uh, once I work this out, I've always made it my business to have people around me, at least some who are really strong on detail, the people who will dot I's and cross T's and have the oversight of things that I don't necessarily pay attention to myself. And so so what you're looking for in any hire is really complementary skills that are going to enhance the overall effectiveness of the team you're putting together. Now, of course, every hire is going to be different. At different times, you need different things. I need a technology person next, so where do I find them? How do I get the best one and so forth? But just having that in mind that you're looking for the things that you aren't, and then as a leader, you've got to bring those together. It's like baking a cake. Here's here's another (laughs) ingredient I need for this recipe to come out the right way. You get the right ingredients, the cake turns out beautifully. You leave one or two out, it's a disaster
0: hmm And I mean, you know, some cakes are going to be chalk tip and the others are going to be blueberry based on skill set gaps. <laughs> but right. at the end There's of the day, it has to be a cake. Almost
1: it's almost lunchtime over here. You're making me <laughs> hungry. Can we move on?
0: <laughs> yes, yes. I've just eaten a burrito, so we can definitely move on. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm thinking about cake now. I'm thinking about dessert. Okay, so um, in your opinion, what is the biggest hurdle new managers and founders face and how can they overcome these quickly or this quickly?
1: Right. So... Um... How do I count the ways? Look, there's there's probably a couple of things I'd focus on. Let's go back to that needing to be liked. It's getting that um, respect before popularity mantra and making sure that you're um, close to your people, you're friendly, but you're not friends. You set them up the right way and you give them very clear uh, guidance about what you want them to do. Uh, if they're working for you in a small business or startup, they've probably already bought into your purpose and your vision. They've probably already bought into that. And so that's a good thing. So you've got people who are probably fairly like-minded to start with. Uh, there's the thing about operating at the right level, not doing your people's work for them, so not controlling them too much. Um, and I think beyond that, it's a matter of being able to paint the vision and lead them forward and to say, here's where we're going, here's some very specific targets we're setting, and I need to monitor you guys to make sure that we're hitting these milestones on the way through. Um, so, for example, if you've got a, um, a major technology release that's happening in six months' time, you don't want to get to five months and two weeks to find out that things are in disarray. You've mm-hmm. got to be able to find ways to monitor that every couple of weeks on the way through to put governance over it so that you let your people do their jobs, but you're also monitoring the outputs to make sure that you're on track. And that's actually really difficult to do.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, with managing or balancing um, respect before popularity, are there particular strategies people can take um in terms of establishing respect early without being a dick
1: (laughs) and and, and look that is that is such a good question because um because the the whole thing is i don't when i say respectful popularity it's exactly right it's not about being a dick or being an asshole or being a bitch right what it's about is being very strong on the reason you're there and as a leader your job above everything else is just to create value that's what your job is and particularly when it's your own capital at risk, you know, you've got to find a way to create value. And that's why you're there and make no bones about it. That's what you have to do. And so you're not there to, to, to create great friendships, although sometimes those come along the way. You're not there to have lifelong fans. You're there to get a job done and create value. And so I think the things that you do to win that trust and respect very quickly is things like being very open and transparent about what you do. Um, the, the building of the relationship that says to the person, I know that you have my best interests at heart and I know that you're taking us somewhere great. And if I follow you and do the things you say, I know that we're going to get there. So it's establishing those things, which you can do relatively quickly. It doesn't take months or years to develop that level of trust and respect with your people. And so I think um, I think just working on those things that are the personal connection, being strong um, and decisive without being wishy-washy, And without trying to make it, you know, like we're all friends here, let's all go out and have, you know, drinks on a Friday night and barbecues on Sunday because you're there to create value.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And before we wrap up today and say a big thank you to Marty, um, I thought I would run through my top four Key takeaways from this episode Um, i've been kind of madly writing notes and so my top four takeaways from this episode is number one have strategies in place to ensure everyone is clear on what is expected consistently and a really great way of doing this is weekly whips so weekly one-on-ones with everyone or a weekly team meeting where everything's reiterated in terms of who is responsible for what and having that very clear and consistent in your messaging Number two is get clear on values of your company and culture and your skill set gaps before going through the hiring process. Um, and this is all to avoid hiring in your own image, which can be a very big mistake if you're not filling skill gaps in your company. Um, so share values and gaps with maybe a third party. I actually I remember someone saying to me, um, you know try and get someone you really respect in business maybe someone who's a really good manager to sit in on the interviews because they'll have your skill set gaps and your company values in mind and they can just act as a buffer because hiring is really hard so it's really great to have someone else involved um, as well who's been there and done that before. Tip number three is a tactic to avoid micromanagement, maybe from the employee side, is to ask questions. So relate this back to your role and your responsibilities as well as the big picture. Tip number four is respect before popularity, but you don't have to be an awful person. Um, Just make it clear what is expected really early and make sure that remains consistent. But that's it from us today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate you listening to our podcast episodes and I hope they are valuable for you and your companies. Um, If you like what you're hearing, (laughs) we would love for you to share it across social media. We're at Collabosaurus, and I'll pop links to No Bullshit Leadership, the podcast, as well as some Your CEO Mentor resources in the show notes as well. But thank you so much, Marty, for coming along today. Really appreciate
1: it. Uh, Thanks, Jess. Great chatting to you.